this is Fintech Unplugged with Suresh Vajani and me, Robert Cornish. So Robert. So Suresh. Today we've got royalty. Royalty. Yeah, as far as Fintech podcasts are concerned, we've got royalty present. Is, is, is this a William or a Harry type royalty? Um, I thought you were going to say Andrew, but... <laughs> <laughs> we do have royalty here. Okay, okay. Have you heard of 11FS? It's... <laughs> Probably the number one podcast in fintech. Wow. It's something that we pretend to try to become like. One day. And we've actually got the CEO of 11FS here. David. Hello. Hey. Uh, Nice to meet you. Um, Lovely to be here. I'm glad you didn't wear the crown today. uh... (laughs) I'm loving the royal references. Like, I just want to go on the record and say I've never been to a Peter Express in my life. So uh, (laughs) if we have to pick one of the royals. Can you smell and taste? Buds are all right. Well, I can sweat. Yeah, I'm good. So. uh... And you've been to Woking? I've been to Woking. Okay, so then uh, I think you're in. Yeah. All right. (laughs) So um, let's first of all just get a get for the viewers that are listening to our little podcast all five of them um a, a bit of background about 11fs how, where did this come from because i mean it is a it is a phenomenon i was joking earlier obviously it is a phenomenon it's 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 grown like anything uh on, on the sciences it, it was listed as like one of the the best fintech companies in the world or something crazy i mean it has got this life of its own now and yeah. what's your and what's your history how did you end up in this space sure um, because you know, it's it's a it, the space has been growing so quickly, and you've been at the forefront of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, my to I'll answer that one first, and then because okay. they're yep. they're sort of interconnected, really. So my my background, um, I had in, literally no intention in going into financial services in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I was merrily playing as much sport as I could do. And unfortunately, after tearing three ligaments in my left knee, had to actually get a proper job. So um, after kind of doing sports science and human biology and everything on that side, had to kind of do a proper thing and go into computing and maths and all these good things. Um, My dad was pretty good. He basically threw a stack of papers at me and said, find an industry that'll be broken in 20 years time. Because if it's going to get fixed while you're in university, what's the point, basically? Um, So I kind of looked at, my dad was in oil and gas and being sort of rebellious. So I sort of had that on the short list, but didn't go for it. And then it was really looking at, well, financial services or technology and um, kind of being greedy, I went for both. Ah. Uh, And did you think 20 years ago that it was broken? Because I would say 20 years ago, people didn't think it was broken. It was like, well, it works. I think the the advent of the internet kind of showed very quickly that the technology that was really underpinning many of the financial services organizations, even then at the time, was really, really backwards. You know, I well, as much as I loved my little Halifax book with a tiger on the front where I got my stamp to kind of put my money in it, it felt a little bit, little bit antiquated when I was able to go on the internet and do what I needed to do on the internet. So, albeit so dial 20 up. years ago, you still had your junior savers account, so you're like 12 years old. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I know. Do you know what? I scrape in that millennial bucket like absolutely just but um so yeah i literally was 20 years ago doing that so um and the netwest pig the piggy bank do you know what? i never had one of those netwest pigs but i was very did envious of friends. i did yeah. i was very envious of them so. um so yeah i mean my my background went from sporting stuff to businessy stuff pretty quickly um and then sort of went into computing and you know undergraded in computing was sort of concerned nobody was ever really talking which was weird and I just found out that's why engineers is basically so um, and then sort of fast forward I kind of went to try and figure out how I could create a unique perspective in in financial services how could I work in as many of the dark angles of FS as possible to ultimately do a thing so worked in insurers worked in banks uh, worked client side at both of those uh, big management consultancy houses big Indian offshoring companies um, and to get to a point where I was like do you know what I know enough I'm going to build a thing so what was the first big bank you went into? Uh, so the first big bank I worked at was Lewis Banking Group. Right. Uh, it was actually HBOS. Uh, I joined right. in May of 2008, which uh, may sort of stick in your head with a, quite a pivotal moment from yep. a financial crisis perspective. So fun time to leave insurance and go into banking. Was this the time when you realised that was one of the right industries you picked seven years before? I, I mean, it's good to kind of sit back <coughs> now and go, oh, that sounded strategic. But at the time, then no. Like at the time when you join it, when you've got kind of family and kids and stuff, and you sort of sit back from your desk and go, well, damn, that was like a pretty bad, uh, you know, from a career aspiration perspective, learning was awesome, but it was kind of joining a ship while it was on fire, basically. So uh, uh, not, not 
HBOS or Lloyd specifically, but financial services is an industry. Clarified that for yeah. our three viewers <laughs> to have dropped off by now. <laughs> how did you? How were you getting on to join when they were trying to lose staff? on the other side of yeah. it. Well, I mean, digital was everything, right? You know, the advent of w what was uh, sort of being brought about by the change that the internet brought. And because of, I mean, cost income ratios were just absolutely killing everybody. Everybody was looking at how could they create more efficiency. So, you know, digital today is all about, uh, you know, experience and services. But at the time, it was actually fundamentally about taking people and paper out of a process. So, you know, really everybody was getting on the internet bandwagon because it was the promise of shedding an OPEX capability that they just couldn't keep up with maintaining. Um, the reality of the situation is nobody really ever got there. Uh, and the promise really of what digital should and could have brought hasn't really delivered yet. But I kind of think we're getting there now. So how did you remain on target with that message when you went into that environment where everybody else was like, oh, he's just another troublemaker. You know, he's just, let him say that. We'll say the right things, digital transformation, but actually we're just gonna do what we always do because that's what works. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Um, if I'm honest with you, um, that was pretty accurate. Like that was a pretty accurate description of, yeah. of kind of, like not only my education, but actually all the way through it. Because if you're kind of really trying to bring about change in organizations, then not everybody's gonna like that, right? Most people who have been at particularly really large organizations and, there, and have been there for a really long time, who've created their empires, created the, the team underneath them, so I'm kind of quite happy in the malaise that's kind of hit in there, particularly in sort of middle management. You know, I kind of, I've always found, particularly in my days at Gartner, I've always found, you know, senior CEOs, uh, you know, group level executives kind of know what's going on. You know, they have a good enough view of the, the, the world. They have a good enough view of what the changes are. They have a great enough aspiration. But actually, when you kind of step down a few levels, that's where you realize people are actually more interested, really, in maintaining their their role their and what they're doing <laughs> than actually moving forward the organization. And that's the difficult thing. You have this slightly... Uh, paralyzing force between people who really want to fix the company and move forwards and people who are probably quite comfortable how it is. So you were doing like religious conversions along the way where you was it kind of you were on your own and then you had a team and then they were all like saying the same things. Yeah I mean when I joined the left uh, when we joined when I joined Lloyd's it was what 12 people um, in terms of like digital right. like literally we had the random office round the back uh, in Shaftesbury Avenue where they used to have the boxes and then they let us have it for a little bit and by the time I left it was about 1400 people oh my um, God. so digital became a thing over that time period you know the the promise of the internet mobile really sort of hit and became a, a thing um, and increasingly it became not only the channel of choice but actually the the major contributor from a revenue perspective uh, you know it's kind of a heady day because when you're doing a digital transformation and you measure everything from a portfolio perspective, you almost kind of can't lose at that point. You know, channel shift from a, a customer's perspective, everything was so positive from an RI perspective. Um, but in that period, really, there was just an amazing, an amazing amount of change that happened. So I've got this theory, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that in the early days, lots of senior people were using these amazing buzzwords that meant something and sounded amazing, but nobody really understood what they meant. What were the best ones? You've got to tell us. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's stopped, right? Uh, I mean, if you, if I, I think the banks get a bad rap on that one because actually having been a management consultant and a consultant, I think the people who are telling them those words are usually the management consultancy. So, you know, but whether- they were then precipitated through the boards Pretty much. Banks, like. Yeah. It's like, um, tell me the stuff I need to know to sound smart in front of my board. Yeah. Um, yes. So, I mean, it's it's difficult because when you start looking at, um, you know, there are, there are amazing things that happen. Um, you know, Clayton Christensen has written so many great books. You know, The Innovator's Dilemma is such a good seminal piece on really what's happening. But then it's used in such a dumb way. You know, people kind of use it in a completely crazy way and also the, the the hard thing is is when you look at it it's almost like trends in uh, like designs in the the fashion industry because people who are really trying to make change aren't looking for buzzwords people who are looking for buzzwords are just looking to look smart to not be smart and that is a real problem you know you find those guys everywhere sounds like regulators so, across europe so you, <laughs> you, you're in 2007 you're at lloyd's 2008 boss yep then moving forward, what was what was the 
sort of tipping point that made you decide to set up 11FS? Where, where, what happened after that? I mean, I always had a... In fact, actually, one of the guys who works at um, 11FS now, Tom Evans, um, I always said, you know, at some point I'm going to do this, you know, 11FS. Didn't know what it was called, but I remember sitting in our kitchen, uh, shared a flat with him over in Cardiff when I was working at HBOS, uh, and said, look, at some point we're going to do this thing. It will be with this intent. It will have this purpose. Um, so knew that, but didn't know enough about the industry to really make it stick at that point. Um, so after banking, you know, a couple of good years in, in Lloyd's Banking Group, you know, we replatformed various different things. We set up the transformation program. Uh, we went and convinced the board that the internet was probably going to be a thing. Um, <laughs> then uh, decided to uh, move into Infosys. So, you know, if, if I've seen uh, financial services from an insurance and from a banking perspective, then uh, offshoring as a as an entity, what does that really mean? What's the impact that that's going to have from an industry perspective? Went and worked at Infosys in their in their digital banking side of things. Super super interesting. I mean, until you've seen Bangalore and Chennai, you know, people literally creating. Uh, engineers, you know, it sounds like Mordor, it's not, you know, but it's like campuses. But that was the buzz at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. Offshoring. Yeah. It's like, we've got to offshore. It, everyone was jumping on that. Well, and, and the difficulty with it really is, um, you know, the, the same time as offshoring was driving, which, I mean, procurement teams and banks love, right? It's like, wait, I can get those developers that cost like a thousand pounds here for like 60 pounds. It's like, yeah, like sign me up, where do I get it? Um, but unfortunately, at the same time as, as offshoring really sort of hitting its feet, Agile was really sort of picking up as well. So the idea that actually multidisciplinary teams, having your engineers and your designers and your product team all together uh, was really sort of coming to the front. Now, obviously, having your engineers in the room at the same time, if you've got a 23-hour flight to go and get them, Not makes it work. somewhat difficult, doesn't yeah. it? Um, so while the business are trying to get in engineers in Shoreditch, your procurement team are trying to get engineers in Mumbai. Uh, and it really sort of causes somewhat of a, a, a kind of a, a complex situation. The cultural variations, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, cult cultural definitely in terms of the ways of working. Yeah. Um, you know, I think India is such an amazing place to, to have spent a lot of time kind of working with because uh, I don't know how much time you sort of worked out there but when people say yes everything is fine up until they stop replying yes. and then it's a no <laughs> yes. and then it's like everything is fine wait that person's gone on holiday forever and it's yes. like oh okay now there's a problem and it's if that's a if that's a hundred million pound program then you've got something to deal with that's you know? why the indian yes is actually a no exactly <laughs> yeah and you after about six months you pick that up pretty quickly you know? um but it was a really interesting time in um, learning uh, various different things in terms of actually how that process worked or actually how those organizations work together during that period actually emphasis bought a management consultancy you know at this stage everybody's really trying to go up and down the value chain They've done something really, really well. They want to try and figure out how do they get closer to the other types of deals. So integrating Lodestone at the time into Infosys was a really interesting challenge. You've got Zurich-based management consultants and Indian-based uh, offshoring focus. It was an interesting sort of culture clash to kind of move through, but um, really, really good fun. After that, I then went to Gartner. So I was running their global digital banking practice. So after the sort of client-side consultancy... Well, what was this? Twenty twelve? No, later than that. So twenty twelve was when I went, when I left Lloyd's. So this was 2014? Okay. Um, and that was really interesting. I mean, until you go to management consultancies, or was the the sort of scourge of the earth from from many an angle, and having seen that from inside and from uh, from uh, client sides, then they have their their uses. But um, I was always very surprised, um, not just from a, from Gartner's perspective, but actually while I was in the client side roles, how much time they just get asked to regurgitate and tell you the thing that you already know. But um, they need to the, the, the back it up. Validation. This, that is, yeah, a lot of it is validation. Yeah, it? well, it, it is. I think if you look at many of the, I mean, McKinsey is always my um, sort of uh, best toy to uh, throw things at. <laughs> yeah. Um, but essentially, being in a situation where they can, you know, charge a million pounds for seven slides that probably the organization already knows about that's an interesting sort of situation to sort of get people into so you know management consultancy was interesting i had a an array of beautiful suits and shoes that was wonderful um but at one point really i mean i remember the day very vividly sat uh, in the office in eggham um i just felt i'd know i knew enough mm. i knew enough from as not many different angles as i needed to to basically go bugger it let's go and figure out how we do this better and that was that was it. That was and the genesis of 11FS, was it? It was. And then, 
many of our listeners may not even know because they, they may not be able to differentiate mm-hmm. is 11FS a podcast? Is it an advisory firm? Is it, you know, what exactly is 11FS? Sure. Um, so we, we sort of start with um, what we believe, really. Um, we know we talk so little about what we do. We talk very much about what we believe. Your point earlier on around uh, religious kind of uh, beliefs and actually uh, alignment is pretty much spot on in terms of how we do what we do, really. Um, because what we've tried to build is an organization that can deliver things really, really effectively. Whether we choose to focus them on something for somebody else or whether we choose to focus them on something for us is really sort of by the by, if that makes sense. Um, we talk a lot about digital really only being 1% finished and actually through that experience, through those different sort of viewpoints on financial services, what we've seen is people spend billions and billions and not really achieve anything. You know, at the same time, we've seen the whole regulatory climate globally fundamentally change. We've seen technology adoption and commoditization accelerating in a way that you just wouldn't have been able to predict back in, you know, 2010, you know, let alone even earlier than that. Um, So with all of this, really, the opportunity for what financial services fundamentally could and should be is so, so, so much bigger than actually what's happening. And it's just really frustrating. You know, having been in an organization where you feel things could happen quicker and cheaper, having worked with companies to show them how these things could happen, now really it kind of comes back to the, you know, there is 99% of this journey to kind of go. So for us, what we do, like say, it's it's about bringing together people who have been there and done it. You know, we've got a services business, which do anything from, you know, what should you do to whole scale building it out. You know, we've built out brand new greenfield banks in Hong Kong, in the UK, in the US, in South Africa, in various far fun places. Um, on the other have s- you done that through consultancy? Because that's a typical consultant role, yeah. helping build something new. Yeah, so we, we sort of do it lock stock internally. Um, we have um, you know product people, designers, engineers, front end engineers, back end engineers, integrators, kind of everything to the mix to kind of make these things happen. It kind of feels to, to us that we're in a we're in such a big period of change that the hard thing about this is just convincing people it doesn't take as long or cost as much to do. Mm. Um, if you look at the the industry, you know, big banks have had all of these opportunities forever, but actually when Barclays was just looking at HSBC or HSBC was just looking at Lloyd's and nobody was really doing anything, then nobody really had to do anything. But what's happened since the financial crisis that's been phenomenal is like this thing called fintechs kind of come along. And what's happened with fintech is it sort of showed people that with 15 people who were really, really awesome, you can do something way better than what 5,000 people who don't really care can do. Um, So whether it's approaches to technology, whether it's starting from today rather than trying to, you know, bring on the the past in terms of either from a technology or a cultural perspective, um, all of these things are much easier and much better to do them from today than they are to give life to what was was once sort of quite good. Um, so whether it's, um, you know, Standard Charter in Hong Kong or NatWest here or, you know, uh, even Grab over in Singapore kind of building out a, a retail product with those guys, then it's really about how do we take to, take to market things that are truly digital. Um, I think the digitization of banking has been where most people have really lost their way, taking kind of an analog thing, whether it's a piece of paper or a process or whatever it is, and then digitizing it into a way that just removes people and paper from it. Um, it's why we're end up, ended up in the place that we're is that we carry around in all of our pockets such amazing technology that does such amazing things, but we've basically got a very small version of a paper-based thing that's existed forever. Our statements are still our statements. The service around banking is no no better. We just access it twenty four seven now instead of uh, you know trundling down to see the nice man at the branch before. So it's um it's disappointing. You know that we're in a we're in a place where the industry has spent a lot of money and not really got anywhere. But um, but a lot of people are really sort of waking up. So how, how many staff do you have at Eleven FS now? Uh, we just tipped over one hundred and eighty. So we've been going for three. So we're four in April. So, so we just you you were founded what what year? Uh, twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Do you remember the day? Uh, April fifth. And where were you? What was what, what, what April the fifth? That's the end of the tax year. Unusual choice. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it wasn't connected. On no, that. clearly not. But, uh, um, I was at home. Um, you know, I, I kind of I left. You that turned was, on the lights for eleven FS. <laughs> yeah, flicked that little sign on. Uh, no, I was at, I was at home. I mean, I left Gartner and spent about five months figuring out really what what we would do. 
um, and then tried to figure out who was crazy enough to kind of come and join me. So uh, Jason Bates left Monzo to come and join us. He was one of the co-founders there, CPO. Um, Simon Taylor left Barclays. He was running their uh, blockchain R&D division at the time, came and joined us. Um, a guy called Ross Metheson, who was running the research team at Mappa, uh, left and came and joined. Megan Johnson. Yeah, so, yeah she was she was zero and and before that uh, various different places. So, so t- tell me the name. Where eleven FS? What mm. is it? I, I assumed it was twenty eleven. You formed it, but clearly not. No, uh, not, not that long ago. Attempt that you had. <laughs> I was going to say where was one FS two FS? <laughs> Do you know what? We live in fear of those twelve FS guys starting. Up. Um, we actually have brought bought the domains just in case you know because you never you never can. But tell. You've left thirteen available because yeah, you if you, lucky for if if you exactly if you really want to go to thirteen FS, do that. <laughs> we, we, um, we could do 13 FU. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we get asked the question a lot about what does it stand for? What, what does it mean? Uh, the various stories, depending on kind of usually how drunk we are, which one we tell. What's the um, most entertaining and what's the truth? Have you seen Spinal Tap? Yes. Okay. That's like one of the origin stories okay. of it. The whole like turning up to 11 thing. Mm-hmm. And genuinely like one of my favorite stories about 11FS is watching Jason try to explain it to like 30 German bankers at the time, <laughs> where he had with Spinal Tap as a story. Exactly, yeah. He, so when they'd asked the thing, and he was like, "Okay, have you seen Spinal Tap? No, no, no. Okay, so it's a British documentary <coughs> set in the eight and in." in he, he, he lost them by the yeah, British. Bit. Exactly. He persevered for about forty minutes. So they no. he did. Yeah. So oh my gosh. He'd had a few beers at the time. <laughs> that, would, that, would, that would have been quite fun to be a fly on the wall. It, it was. It was like watching The Office. It was like both incredibly uncomfortable and really funny at the same time. We like we like that. But like um, that. I mean, we generally say it's like normal ranges one to ten. What eleven You're is one better, scale. right? Um, but um, we talk a lot about small team sports. Most sports are eleven team. Uh, you know, eleven people on the team. Um, I don't know. There's like eleven herbs and f- spices in the the KFC recipe. All of these things that you didn't realize have eleven in them until you, you call just, a company eleven, just, right? Yeah. Also, like, I mean, I started out doing really good SEO stuff. So if you want to be the top of any list, two ones at the front of your name's pretty handy, right? And FS is financial services. It is. Okay, so we've got that one. And the 11th letter of the alphabet is K, but it's not Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's start off by diving into this uh, bin of confusion. This is one that is around about where, where profitability. We, we've asked this to a few of our interviewees on this, and, uh, and we've had a variety of answers. I think the most uh, Actually, interesting was Daria, from, wasn't it? Uh, this question came from someone in Belgium, of all places. Ah, okay. Yes. So uh, the question is, do you expect to see Revolut to go into profit this year? That's 2020. And what is your best guess for the profitability of N26? I have no idea on the N26 one because, I mean, they keep it very guarded. I'd say on Revolut, no. I'd say actually on most of the fintech players that are kind of really aggressively glowing global. Yeah. Um, I mean, glowing global. Glowing, I like that. I yeah, like they're glowing. Hot. They are glowing. Probably, <laughs> the amount of kryptonite in them. Indeed. <laughs> um, I think they're you know the the capex that they're putting into all of the stuff that they're doing right now. They are investing so heavily in global expansion. Uh, I'd say all of them are looking for for users and the size of the base before they really start pivoting into actually making money. Um, it's not a approach I would take. I, I'm pretty old-fashioned about businesses making money. I'm not sure you can actually call a business a business until it's actually making money. I think that's got to be some sort of uh, charity. Yeah, I mean, at, <laughs> at that point, you're you're yeah, you're providing a service for no revenue. It doesn't seem to make sense to me. So, um, but I, I do think in a sort of a post WeWork crash, then I think their investors are increasingly going to start looking for kind of some sign of returns at some point. Which is why I think actually with Monzo and Revolut and all of these guys, we're seeing many more attempts at it. You know, the the Monzo plus card, the you know the attempts at kind of the uh, the the changes intact to try try and sort of start bringing some money in. But I don't think we're going to see them turning profit anytime soon. And you I, know, this goes all the way back to the eighties with Midland Bank and a guy called Ken Howes, who later on uh, was a consultant, but he was in Midland Bank at the time, and uh, he always quotes as the worst thing he ever did for the industry was the the no account fees for your bank account. Yeah, it was it was a race to the bottom after that. It is, and it's this seems it. to be like that on steroids now doesn't it yeah it's, it's definitely sort of commoditized the the ability but if i'm honest with you though i think the many of the fintechs though are, are trying to remove some of that stuff because free banking certainly is not free you know if you kind of look at the the way in which it's spread out and the trap you know the bear trap that is uh, overdraft fees that have been set up it ends up being free to 
most of the people who can probably pay for it, but actually really, really costly to the people who can't. So I think it's... Um, I think a lot more transparency around the fees is probably very sensible. And also, actually, if you explain stuff to people in a way that they see the real value to it, people aren't opposed to actually you know, paying for something. But I completely agree with you. We've seen the same thing happen in insurance, right? Uh, aggregators commoditize the feature set. It became a race to the bottom, and now everybody's getting insured for stuff that doesn't really insure them for anything that they actually need it to be. So uh, it's a bit of a problem, isn't it? So what, what is the solution? If that, if that is the problem of, of our industry today... Is is is, I mean, is these companies just going exploding with a burst? The solution, mm. and everyone suddenly having to recalibrate where they are, and a new industry coming up, which is a paid-for industry, or is there a, a softer? I mean, I could see this getting worse. If you look at the, um, uh, sorry to be the bringer of doom on this one to a certain degree, but the in, the insurance side of things was predicated because somebody else started owning distribution. Um, you know, compare the uh, the meerkat market, whatever <laughs> yeah. it is, uh, yeah. and money supermarket, money supermarket. Yeah. and all of those guys. You know, at that point when they start owning distribution, they own the narrative around what's important. You know, suddenly, uh, you know, money saving expert were, or money supermarket were saying this is the best one because of this APR. People are buying on feature sets they don't understand. Most people don't understand what an APR actually mm-hmm. is. Um, so, being in a situation where somebody else starts owning distribution. Uh, you know, this is this is but happening isn't this here. Exactly what PSD two is going to contribute to exactly. with their whole thing with the TPPs. Because exactly. the 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 mindset I'm getting from some of the US companies coming in that are like the money supermarkets into the UK and the European market is that what we're going to do is we're going to go one step beyond that. What we're going to do is get customers to sign all their rights over to us, and our role is to move on a daily basis, yeah. almost or even minute by minute basis. Your suppliers for electricity, your suppliers yep. for gas, your suppliers for your banking loans, your suppliers for your credit card. And we will do that behind your back. You keep mm. using whatever you're using and you won't know what we're doing, but we're getting you the cheapest deal all the time. Yeah. And the only way you're going to get the cheapest deal is to push everyone to push their deal pricing down. So yep. race to the bottom. But well, it's going to accelerate that if you, if it's all being automated by these companies. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, completely. It will completely accelerate it. But I think it will change how people have to make products as well. Because, you know, the, I mean, principles from a universal banking perspective is cross-sell and upsell, right? You get one person in on a current account, you can sell them three other products because you've got a direct relationship with them. At the stage where you don't and you never see them, and actually your silos of your products have to be individually profitable, you're buggered. And like, you've got a money supermarket that's switching those products all the time yeah. because everyone's made it easy to switch because you've got all the switch accounts, you've got the switch for your utility, you've got your switch for your bank now and your credit cards. It, these things are just going to... It's just mind-blowing how this could actually yeah. accelerate into this situation where no one even knows who their supplier mm. is anymore because they're getting the cheapest but it's not going to be the best yeah i think the only way that people can kind of fight back on that to a certain degree is like sell on service um i mean actually if you couldn't establish a primary brand i mean nobody goes into m&s and buys potatoes for like just mash do you know what I mean? You go into M&S to buy like fancy potatoes because their advertising is great and you want some fancy potatoes. So if you can establish a direct brand that creates value in the commodity like the M&S food does, that's where you can really own these things. Like and first if, direct almost. Well, I mean, look at what this is what Monzo and Revolut and Starling are doing, mm-hmm. right? You know, they've just not done it at the scale yet that other people have done. But I say they've probably eclipsed first direct already. You know, it's like, what, 35? three years old or something first direct they've got 1.5 million customers mm. you know what's Revly got 7 million already and Monzo's got 4 you know like if they can do in 5 years what it took them 33 to do then they're probably doing something alright alright and on, on the profits what do you think of the valuations we see right now you know the multiples you know is it sustainable you know is it are we going to have a moment where someone calls out the emperor's clothes and everyone's like oh my god you're right yeah, I mean, it's it's a. Um, I think we've de- been pretty much desensitised to what a billion actually is at this stage, haven't we? Which is um, which is pretty worrying. Um, I'm not sure all of them can possibly ever realise the value that's actually being sort of put in there. And and actually, this is what's leading to almost the chasing of global expansion rather than necessarily um, finishing the job that they've started yeah. in in any particular geography. Um, so I do I do very much kind of worry about that because. I mean, it only takes one of the, the, the sort of 
leading three to have any kind of particular misstep and it could have be very detrimental to a, the industry globally not not from the amount of customers that they have but from a, a credibility in the system and credibility in the process um, so I mean I, I, I do definitely worry about that but I think it's one of those things I mean if you go back to the origin story of any of the banks I'm not sure they were necessarily um, uh, maybe as aggressive or as aspirational as the organizations that we're kind of facing in today today you know definitely if you look back at the you know the origin stories of nationwide you know those guys weren't set up to do all the different products that they do and all the different services they had a very specific niche and they sort of stuck to that until they hit a point where the money that they were making for that would allow them to do something else i think many of the fintechs have just forgot to wait to do something else if you know to get that money first, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Probably with the exception being somebody like Oak North. You know, those guys are obviously doing a, a good job at making sure that they build off profitability with, um, you know, uh, a, a good approach to developing further features and further products. Okay. So I've got an interesting question for you that's come out. Uh, it says here, I've heard you describe some consultants as parasites. This is interesting. Um, why is 11FS different? Yeah, I mean, parasitic is an interesting one because, I mean, if you kind of look at the many of the, um, I mean, if you if everything is costed off a time and material basis, then like no shit, everything takes a lot of time and costs a lot of money, right? Um, so for me, consultancy where the values and the uh, attributes of it are antagonistic to the people that you're helping is not a good way of going about it from my perspective. Um, you know, we, we really never want to be anywhere longer than we need to be. Um, you really want to kind of establish and make sure that you've got sustainability in a process to, to actually ensure that you can leave something rather than be there forever. Which, if I'm honest with you, when you look at the the aspirations around many of those big organizations, I'm not sure I've they really seen They stay as long it. as the pockets have got money there. Do you know, I've seen in various different <coughs> slices of my career, I've seen people make decisions that are more beneficial to their business than the business that they're there to help. Uh, it's like a GP who doesn't want you to get fit. Hmm. Uh, that's a problem, right? Understood. Robert, I think all GPs want you to get fit, don't they? I don't know. Some of the headlines lately, some, some, of them, <laughs> some of them definitely do not want you to get fit. Well, avoid those GPs. We want you fit. Um, so I, I was going to be a bit off off piste here, but just looking at the, the look at society today and the, and the way in which we, we've all moved forward. And I, and, I, and I think one of the reasons you've got the Monzos and Revoluts working is because of this next generation of people coming through that don't have that loyalty, have don't want to follow what their parents did. Mm. But what is the natural conclusion for that? Of, I mean, we saw this whole thing with Libra coming in and the, the big banks getting really scared about it mm. in case it, it just it took them away. But also the countries, the, the central banks getting worried about loss of sovereignty we kept hearing. Um, and and then suddenly we've got all these um, central bank issued digital currencies now bobbling along. Um, where 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 do you see this whole thing ending up? Do you think there's going to be another generation behind this one that goes back to conservative values and goes back to wanting their money kept safe, or do you think this is just part of a continuum where we move away from banks altogether? Um, I, I'd say there's a there's a balancing act between. Um trust in organizations and a system and people wanting control over that system uh, actually if you look at all of the stuff that all of the organizations that were predominantly freaking out with with libra were because it removed their ability to control uh, whether it was the bank of england whether it was the government or you know various different sort of players in the in the in the place it's in a similar way that if you see somebody like um you know ripple coming along then Swift get quite upset. It's like anybody who this status quo will be upset by by this new thing, then they're the ones who are always kind of you know fly the flag for oh it's risky and it's scary and it's changing. Um, I think the the sad reality is we've been in a, a low interest um, sort of um, climate for such a long period of time that people are scrambling at any way that they can try and make money. Uh, you know, cryptocurrency for was, was an explosion not in people who loved Ethereum. It was like taxi drivers who just wanted to try and make an extra bit of money uh, and that's the sad point is that many it's gambling basically yeah it's a it's um, <coughs> it's a making you feel slightly better because you think you're doing it for the right reasons but it is just gambling and predominantly most people lost 
Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it, it, it fluctuates, and the only people that win are the exchanges who get their margins. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's it's sad in that sense, but I, I'm not sure we're we're yet at the, you know, nobody's kind of flying a, a pirate flag and running off to, you know. Apart from Akon, who started his own city, who yes. is going to literally have a was it Acorns? currency? Yes, uh, and so so it is happening. But you have to be a crazy billionaire hip hop guy to go and make that shit happen. So, so your 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 feeling is that this is just a, a trend, or or do you think that that banks will finally be disintermediated by something like this in the future? I think the future that you laid out earlier on is more likely. Uh, I think actually the banks will become commoditized into being more of the, the dumb pipe that sits at the bottom of it. I think the ability to control distribution will be taken away by players who can really create services that actually consumers value. Um, and actually in, in that layer in commoditization lays the probably a, a slow and painful death um, because it's very similar to what happened in MNOs. You know, they were absolute king of the hills for a long period of time, and now nobody really cares what that logo is in the top right hand of your uh, handset. Um, the service is very much the same. The pricing is very much the same, uh, and really, what the benefit that they drive to you is is very, very minimal. Um, it's a sorry place to end up from a banking perspective, but you can kind of see it happening. But this whole move towards the control of the individual over the control of the organisation mm. is something that 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 started with the the whole internet and the TV and people wanting to put put their own have their own choice over what it is and then create their own. Yeah. And um, and we've seen that sort of profilate through, and then you've got this whole thing of taking the payments out of the situation mm. with the Amazon shop, with the Uber type yep. scenarios, and you. Your 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 tele your your um uh, Deliveroo type yeah. scenario. So so we we you gradually take that out of it, and so the consumer is king, or the the individual is king because mm. they own their own data, they yeah. own their own environment. I I still see that these sort of central bank issued digital currencies could enable that as a continuation of those other industries that have followed that. Potentially, but I'm not sure the consumer will care. I think very similar to open banking, nobody really, you know, no consumer really cares about open banking if they're not one of us. Um, if it suddenly does a thing for them in a slightly better way than the existing system does, then they'll probably start using it. Um, but I, I'm not necessarily, I don't think there's many consumers who are just walking around on the street going, you know, I really want control of my data or I really, because you, you still flagrantly see people giving away ridiculous amounts of data to do the most trivial things. Did like, you recently see that that video on YouTube where the guy was just going up asking people for what's your password? I'm, I'm just doing a survey. And people on the street were going, well, yeah, it's my favorite pet. What's your pet's name? Then? Oh, my pet's name's Melanie. <laughs> oh, and what, what's your date of birth? Oh, yeah, it's the 5th of the 7th, 72. Oh, really? And who and do you so, bank with? Yeah, yeah and, and people were giving live interviews, yeah. giving away all their passwords. Yeah. The, the reality is people are stupid. Yeah, I think that is the... <laughs> that is, well, I mean, generally. I mean, that's that, that is the sad reality, really, is that when you sort of look out there, people will do ridiculous things for... As stupid a reason as somebody asked, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm even doing a YouTube video. Do you want to give away all your passwords? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Will I be famous? I mean, airport Wi-Fi is always <laughs> my be best famous? example. You know, people give away literally all of their data just to access like 15 minutes of Wi-Fi before they get in a plane, and it's just insane. So, um, so yeah. I mean, it, it is a um, it is a weird world that we live in from a financial services perspective. But I'd sort of say, um, you know, I was kind of point to we will bet on the people who have probably got all the money and all the customers and actually the banks can still do something about it if they choose to but many of them are still sticking their fingers in the areas and hoping it will all go away and many of them are deploying fast follower strategies when they are neither able to follow nor actually able to do it fast um, which is a uh, somewhat of a problem with that uh, that strategy so why, why do we moral, think so why do we think the banks haven't purchased any of these fintechs and i know there was a a kind of a tinder flirting moment with loot and rbs um no they, they bought it well, they didn't the, well, well they, kind of in they, out, didn't, in out they didn't about buy it it, it yeah. went bankrupt and yeah. then they hoovered up a bunch of the people didn't they but i mean it has happened yeah. i mean bbva have bought all sorts of stuff that, that's they? true okay that's true but i guess i'm thinking about you know there was was there an opportunity for Monzo to be bought quite early, and then they said they're asking for too much money, and then? Yeah, I mean, it's been. I mean, it's been. I think Telegraph sort of published uh, published an article about it a couple of months ago, where yeah. um, Ross McEwen had approached Tom a few times and said, you know, okay, 
how much so, you know let's uh, you you're kind of causing a lot of noise now let's look but I, i'm not sure necessarily that's the answer if mm. i'm honest with you i, think I meant it's, for the traditional banks yeah more about i don't them. even think it's i don't think it's the answer okay. for them because i mean what you're buying i think you need to understand why you can't do something because i mean tom's great you know jason's great they're smart people but what they're doing is not magic. You know, it's not a magical fintech thing. Like, there's no incantation that they do every morning to the shiny hot coral Maybe light it's seen or whatever. Maybe magic because the traditional banks can't do it. But it is. But then by just buying something, all you're going to do is break it really quickly. So if you acquire something that can do something you can't do and actually then just laden on all of your governance and all of your processes and all of your structure and all of the people that you've had forever, all you're going to do is break the thing that you bought really quickly. Um, you know, we've seen this a number of times with different players who have bought stuff. I mean, BBVA, you know, Simple in the US was a really uh, early, what, you know, 2010, 2011 challenger bank based in New York, bought it, really nothing happened with it at all. Then it's getting shut down. You know, they acquired some really good talent. You know, uh, Shamir, who was acquired as part of it, set up all of the open banking capability for BBVA, which was great, you know, market leaders. But they bought a bunch of stuff, you know, and it doesn't mean that they're now so far ahead of the pack. Um, I really, really believe it's like I, I kind of come back to it. It's, it's like, um, you know, you don't go to, to the gym and pay your personal trainer to like do all the press ups and the sit ups for you. If you don't learn what those things are, if you don't learn the form, if you don't understand nutrition, if you don't put in the effort, you're never going to be able to do these things. You've You've seen, you, I was going to say spying on tourists. Yeah, clearly, the gym. I, 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 game wrong. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's my part-time job at uh, spying fit, on tourists. So I've got another question here, which bizarrely uh, rolls back a little bit into the whole Libra discussion. H how seriously are the legacy players about financial inclusion? But I just want to widen that and say, how serious are the current players that are coming through, like the Libras, who use financial inclusion as their like tagline to why they're doing things? Mm. So is, yeah. it, is it real or is it just fake? See, I'd say it's a, um, on the Libra side of things, I'd say it's something that it's a good story, but I'm not necessarily sure that's why they're doing it when you look at the players that are involved in it. From the big organizations, they've got bugger all chance of, of addressing it for a really long period of time. And it's not because they don't want to, because they've all got strategies around it. But when you've got an operating cost that costs you £220 a, a year to run a current account, you've got no chance of offering a, a product that actually supports anybody other than middle market. Um, you know, They then struggle to do wealth market because they can't provide the equivalent of thick carpets and fancy paper but at the bottom end of the pyramid you've got you've got no chance of getting into that unless you fundamentally change what your tech setup is um, and it's it's hard because it's uh, it's a market that many players could do some really really interesting things with and actually we've seen you know players like Mambu from a low-cost core banking system being created or players like Moneys coming to the market and acquire uh, quite a good number of consumers I think they've just tipped over a billion valuation haven't they uh, in the last month or so, but um, but yeah, it's it's still very untouched. I think it's more likely on the inclusion side that somebody like the World Bank or the ongoing work that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is doing that they'll have more impact now than any of the big players will. Now with Eleven FS, the podcast, uh, you know, you you've met a lot of guests, a lot of clients. What's the funniest thing that's happened on one of them? Um, you don't have to name who did it, but if you don't, you can have some more vodka in there. Um, that maybe got cut out, but you don't have to name. You can tell us what happened. You don't have to say who it was, unless you want to have more drink. I mean, I'm, I can't go into the specifics, but there's there's just such an amazing amount of times that uh, CEOs of banks, when you turn a microphone in front of them, just turn into like putty. Like it's an amazing thing. These are heavily media trained people. But you put a mic on in front of them and tell them it's like it's actually quite casual. It's quite a you know friendly thing. That's what they really struggle with. I think actually if you um, if you go into a uh, an organisation and actually say this is a very serious thing, it's going to be you know news night vibe. I think they deal with that a lot better than it's just chilled out and it's like talking to your mates down the pub type thing because that's where they they feel like they're going to let right. slip of something else. Um, the amount of people who talk to us about products that aren't in the market yet. And then we get a phone call like a day later to go, hey, uh, 
I just realized we told you about that thing that's not like, can you maybe not put that? Right. So that's that's always fun. Which is one of the reasons why we started, we do two shows that are just live now. Right. Because if you come on that, it's all yeah. going out. There's no chance of you sort of pulling anything So, so we had Ali Patterson on once and he said that he's actually interviewed people where on one occasion she started crying and then she, he felt really bad about it. But you and I both know Ali and would understand that situation. Have you had anybody cry in one of your podcasts? Nobody, nobody's cried yet. But I mean, well, I give it like, you know, we'll, we'll, if I work on it, you know, if it's, uh, if it's, a, if it's like a badge of honor, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> and what's the plans for the actual podcast? What are you planning to, you know, are you going to, you know, cause me and me and Robert were talking about how we're convinced that the only reason you're here, you're spying on us to work out how you, you can know, get to five, how you can get to viewers, five, five, six, listeners we've 12, got, you yeah. know. I mean, and we've I think, been going nearly two years now, and we're we're in double figures, which is amazing. I'm surprised that you even heard of us. You know, <laughs> I mean, from from our perspective, um, I mean, the podcast. The reason we started it in the first place was um, I just don't like paying for marketing. And actually, when we were five people around a tiny little table in the Spitfields in uh, Starbucks, then actually, what was the best way we could reach as many people as we we wanted to? Um, and I think actually, marketing can become quite boring. And actually, the great thing about podcasting is you can really get the intonation and the the purpose behind people's comments. So, you know, if you want to build a brand that is really authentic, that really lowers the bar for when you go and have a meeting with somebody as well, because we are exactly the same on the podcast as we are in a boardroom or a presentation or whatever. Um, it sets the right bar. So it's a try before you buy almost. Yeah, I mean, it, it, um, most of our work is inbound because we don't do outbound. Um, and if off the back of listening to us talk as we do, then uh, you still want to talk to us, then um, then great, you've you know passed the test as it were. I never quite worked out why we do ours. <laughs> there's, there's no benefit at all, but we just like talking. <laughs> and uh, well, if you can, and, and we, 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 we did have a look at the TV idea, the video bit mm. at the beginning, um, but no one wanted to see Suresh's body. I'm um, he well, always wears these like onesies, like and uh, too much. Bad Robert's accent. tamed down the shirt for today, but normally his shirt is def definitely not fit for camera. <laughs> yeah. Wait, do you two like each other? Is this no? So, we, no, we, we, no. We, we, if we liked each other, we wouldn't even be here. That's true. Fair <laughs> we, we keep guests to separate us. That's yeah, true. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. I, I know my role like, now. Referee <laughs> is, is is the job, and, uh, and and with that hoodie on, you you you, look, you could be the boxing referee. You could be the coach in the room. Pretty so much. With eleven FS, generally, you know, everyone's highly positive. You've always had a lot of positive. I've said about you and it's rare to hear anything negative said about you mm -hmm. um, but I do recall there was something wrote recently from you know one of the consultancy gigs that you were working with where you know it was a rare occasion so is, is that something you can talk about yeah it was um, so a sifted article um, talking specifically about NetWest yeah um, it was a weird one because um, I mean we I came out of the uh, the interview we talked to sifted they're like, here's these things. This this is what we're going to be printing. And I was like, well, that's categorically not true. So weird. Um, and then straight out the back of that meeting, was able to ring Alison Rose and go, this is weird. You guys should kind of know about this thing yeah. happening. Um, so yeah, categorically nonsense. I think right. um, if I'm honest with you, what we sort of found very similar to actually what uh, I was talking to Tom Blomfield about this with Monzo. Actually, I think the bigger that you get the more of a threat that you probably are to a bunch of other people and then the weird tactics kind of turn right. up. I mean, we quite we haven't quite had Watchdog turning up with a nice sculpture outside of our uh, offices right. like Monzo has. Um, but um, but it's not far off that. Um, so reasonably playful mudslinging, I think, from competitors, unfortunately. But um, the bigger you are, I think the uh, the more mud they'll sling. So we'll He's use got that no as ability to do a nice sculpture, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Um, I mean, it would be a talent I would love to acquire. So if you if, like, if I catch you at like 11 o'clock, you just trying to do an 11FS <laughs> ice sculpture outside the office. Then. What was the Monzo ice sculpture of, the ones outside? What was it? It was like an a uh, angel, I think, that they did it of. God. It was part of the, the whole sort of Monzo... I stole our money yes. stuff that kind of but went on it's great on, to know that the BBC put good you know I know taxpayers money that. I yeah, know. Money. it's very creative but uh, do you know what that, I actually watched Watchdog for the first time yeah. because of that whole thing since what was her, what was her name uh, the original lady was oh, on it uh, yes but 
oh my god, it's dumbed down. Like I yeah. don't know if you guys seen it. It's it's like a real paint by numbers now. Like it really used to be investigative journalism, but now it's very much but like if they did their homework, they would realise that in these instances where funds have been frozen, they can't comment on it. They can't be tipping off. They can't be saying what yep. the reason is. And it's like they've stolen. They're not telling us. And it's just like guys, do your homework. Yeah. This is the law, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. But but no, I mean, it was a, a very weird Monday to kind of wake up. And what what I found really interesting was they, um, what do they, what do they call me? I'm looking at Zoe for, for contents, contents on this one. Bearded, hooded, cladded fintech guru of London or something. And I was like, man, should I, should I update my Twitter bio with that? Like, just because, well, like, clearly, it's I mean, obviously what everyone Yeah, I mean, there was some, as. there was some negative, but like that first bit I took as a, as like a, you know. Or Do I can, need to change my wardrobe or like? We can what? confirm you're hooded. Yeah, yeah. You're bearded. Yeah. What, what else was it? Fintech guru. Fintech guru. Yeah. I yeah. Would we, say, I yeah, think yeah, after yeah. this interview, I think we can yeah. definitely say you're a fintech guru. Fintech well, Yoda. I'm, I'm glad I passed the test, guys. Thanks for that. <laughs> Robert, do you have a final question be before we? Uh... Um, okay. You, you ask one. one more after that. You ask. What is the biggest mistake you've seen over the past year, and what did you learn from it? Hmm. That's an interesting one. I'd say, um, do you know what? It's really, really hard. I mean, the hardest thing about building a, a business is um, I think when you have people who you really, really like, but you know they're not 100% the right person for the thing. Um, and that's actually, if I'm honest with you, I think it's the hardest thing of, of running a business in totality, never mind a kind of a startup. So I'd say that's probably the, the biggest mistake I've, I've made a few times is um, I really believe in people and I really want to kind of give them the platform and do the best that they, they can. Um, but I just need to keep working on getting better at knowing when it's not right. Nice. Okay, brilliant. Very... I've got one final question and, and it's in my hand and I know that you can't see any text, but it's with invisible ink. So please bear with me. Um, Robert, write these notes down. Okay. Um, if there was something about a podcast that existed in the market and you could think of a few things they definitely need to fix up on, um, you know, hypothetically, what would you do? Um, I mean, I think with um, with podcasting, it's only 10% the content, it's 90% distribution. Uh, it's all about how you get it out there. It's all about how you create the buzz around the thing that you're doing. Um, and actually, if you can continually be putting people into the top of the funnel, uh, and that's not just, you don't just build it and they will come. You've really got to grind uh, to kind of get those people at that top of that funnel. Um, that would be the thing I'd kind of really, really focus on. Thank you. Okay. Appreciate it. Brilliant. And thank, thank you, you very time. much. Really appreciate you. you coming on. Thank, thank you. And uh, yeah, safe journey home. Thank you. And very if much. anybody wants to know anything more about 11FS, what should they do? Yeah, just 11FS.com or you can get me, David, at 11FS.com. Thank you very much. Thank you. No problem.